please pray with me. God, would you meet us in our places of joy and sorrow, dancing and mourning, and let us be our full selves before you. And if anything I say this morning isn't helpful and isn't uplifting to those gathered or to those listening, let us simply forget it, God. We love you and we need you and we pray these things in the name of you, our creator, redeemer, and the spirit among us, amen. How many of you have worked at a summer camp? A few people. Well, if you have, or if you've ever hung out with children, or if you have been a child, you know that sometimes, at the end of a long day, at the end of a long week, there is a moment when suddenly the kids go wild and start bouncing off the walls. It's like they become a different species entirely. And at the end of a long week, once when I was working at Cascades Camp, the camp that I worked at over the, my summers in college, at the end of those long weeks, one of those long weeks, this very thing happened. The kids started bouncing off the walls. And that summer, I was the program leader, and when things went awry, I was the one that everyone looked to. And when some kids started yelling, some kids started fighting, others started crying about not getting a third corn dog, and others started running around and screaming, the counselors turned to me and said, can you please do something? And I had used up all of my games and cheers to entertain the kids, but I did know one thing that made me feel better anyway, and that was an impromptu dance party. So I ran to get my phone, and I hooked it up to the sound system, and I started to play something catchy, maybe Kelly Clarkson, since you think on, you know, it's a great, great dance number. Perhaps some Backstreet Boys, I don't know. But whatever it was, I turned it all the way up and pulled some counselors up to dance with me. And it spread like wildfire. The kids who were fighting stopped, and they stared at us. Those who had been yelling were drowned out by the music and decided they may as well move a little. Those crying were starting to smile. We all danced out our feelings and we danced to stay sane. Not everyone's moves were awesome. I have one friend who will remain nameless and this is his dance move. <laughs> our skill though, it didn't really matter. We are dancing, this, this man's dancing brought us all a lot of joy. And we laughed at and with each other as we moved and our bodies were free. We danced and danced and danced and even all those kids who wanted more corn dogs realized that they were full and they got out on the dance floor. We danced our hearts out. But there was one staff member I saw, one young adult, who sat in the corner and didn't join the party. Well, I did see him start to move just a little bit for a moment. But then he noticed that I saw him and he stopped. He got self-conscious and he shrunk a little bit. Even though I did not have great dance moves, he felt judged perhaps. I went over to pull him up to dance, but he got smaller and smaller. The music was blaring, but he couldn't join in. He wanted to, he had started to, but when he saw people watching, he stopped, he stilled himself. He shrunk. He pretended he hadn't been dancing at all in the first place. And I bet we all can remember a moment where we've done exactly the same. But our text today, it tells a very different story. 
There is a person who doesn't still himself, who doesn't shrink when there's an opportunity to dance, and that someone is King David. In our text today, the king who is a man after God's own heart, who was anointed by Samuel, the prophet of God, who was the leader during what was called the golden years of Israel's history, the man who was considered handsome and strong, one who led sheep and led Israel to prosperity, this man went wild with expressing his emotion. And a little further on in our text in chapter 6, verse 14, he danced at his excitement for having the ark back in the care of Israel. And it says this, David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark to the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpet. But let me explain the context just a little bit. We know of King David, perhaps, as an amazing king. And we hear him dancing in the procession of the Ark of the Covenant here, and life seems maybe easy for him. But his road to the throne, it was a little unconventional. And quite controversial, even. David started, after all, as a shepherd boy, the youngest of his brothers. In 1 Samuel 16, the prophet Samuel came to his house to anoint a king, and David's own father brought every single one of his older brothers before Samuel, before even thinking that his youngest David might be the future king. David's father seemed embarrassed even to bring such a young kid, a shepherd, before God's prophet, but Samuel was discerning. He saw that David was handsome and glowing in appearance. I'd like to know his skincare regimen. And Samuel knew that David was the one to be the king of Israel. So the newly anointed David goes from being the youngest, the unexpected, to being anointed to be the next king and playing music for the current king, Saul. But if you remember the story, Saul isn't in a great place. He, the text tells us that he had an evil spirit and he tormented David, throwing things at him, chasing him even, and trying to kill him. And perhaps Saul was also jealous of David. David was anointed by God's prophet, had defeated many enemies of Israel. The people even sang songs about David. But along with Saul, others didn't support David becoming the next king either. After experiencing Saul's murderous rages, David had run from Saul and gathered together his own band of mercenaries to protect him and fight with him. And people didn't know what to do with this. He was stirring up contention with the king and he was raiding Philistine towns all over. He was chased by the king of Israel and hated by the Philistines. The Amalekites wanted to stone him. I imagine people wouldn't want him as their leader. Maybe they wondered, could he really bring us peace? And yet, right before our story in the text today, we read that Saul dies in battle, and the men of Judah, they come together and make David king officially. And despite the continued violence and confusion, despite many people not trusting that David could lead them well, David is made king. And he grieves the deaths and continued fighting between his house and the house of Saul, and he takes back their city, Jerusalem, and he defeats their enemies. And as David and others come back from battle to Jerusalem, carrying with them the Ark of God, a physical piece of their religious practice, which had been captured by the Philistines, David feels joy. He feels ecstatic. Things are coming together. And as the instruments are playing in chapter 6, David, the somewhat controversial new king, he begins to dance with all of his might in front of 
everyone. But this seems like a bad idea for David. Culturally, women would be the ones to dance in this culture at religious ceremonies or festivals. And David, he was wearing a linen ephod or the clothing of a priest. And I don't know everything about cultural expectations of that time, but usually when a person who isn't clergy puts on a robe and a stole, or maybe a nun's habit, and starts dancing wildly in public, people think it's a little weird. And David's own wife certainly does further on in chapter 6. She believes his wild, ecstatic display is embarrassing and an action unfit for a king. And as David was controversial, you'd think David would lie low for a minute, build some relationships as the new king, before he starts getting wild and dancing like a woman would in the streets. But none of this stops this king. I bet he knew what people would think. I bet he could tell that some thought his display of emotion was very weird, out of the norm, and too much. But instead of thinking too much about it, he felt it. He leaned into his emotions his joy that the ark was back, that Jerusalem was theirs again, that he was king and his people were free, he leaned in and let out his emotion in one of the best ways that I know how. He danced. But how many of us have stilled ourselves from dancing, silenced ourselves from speaking or from singing, from sharing our opinions, from being honest if the truth is hard, from sharing emotions. I know that I have. I have decided that maybe my dance moves aren't good, that I haven't warmed up enough to sing. (coughs) Speaking of warming up. (laughs) That perhaps my opinions aren't correct and I shouldn't be honest about what I believe. And mostly, more than anything, I find myself silencing my emotions because I am someone who wants to not overburden people. I've heard stereotypes about emotional women, and I don't want to be called that. Instead of letting out what I think and feel, sometimes I silence myself out of fear of judgment or making people tired of me for sharing too much. And even though I find it difficult to be open with what I'm feeling sometimes, I know for women in our culture it can seem more normal for us to share our feelings than it can for men. It can feel more socially acceptable in our country, at least for women to show emotion. And that's not fair. Men have not always been given the freedom in our culture. But a friend of mine who grew up in India tells me that there it is more socially acceptable for men to be the emotional ones and women to be the logical ones goes to show that we all have emotions and we are all rational and these traits aren't gendered, but are different to each person and also socially constructed. But in our culture, in the States, sometimes a man can be thought of as weak if he shares his feelings or cries, and this is such a shame. We all have feelings. We've been shown by our media and everything else that men can't show every emotion. We've, been seen, we've seen that men can be angry, men can be aggressive, but have, we been taught, but have we been taught that men are also free to be sad, to be tender too, to be unsure and have questions? Have we been shown that men are still strong when they share feelings of all kinds? Also, have we been taught that women are allowed to show anger? I think not either. We have emotions and things to express, each of us, whoever we are and whatever gender we are. 
And maybe, too, we've experienced times when we have shared our feelings, whoever we are, and we've been abandoned in some way once we have. We've expressed a difficult emotion, come clean with someone else, told them we feel alone or sad, and then we are told to get over it or it'll get better soon. Maybe a person has stood up and left us as we cried because our emotions were too much for them. And when people respond in this way, it isn't about us. It's about those people being embarrassed themselves by emotion, by being unable to hold the tension of big emotions inside themselves, but it still hurts regardless. Maybe once when we were wildly happy, we did a dance and someone made fun of our moves or looked at us weird for being so free as we expressed our great joy. They left us in that moment too. People won't always show up for us well as we are honest about our emotions. They just won't. And that eventually tells our brains a story that we begin to believe. It tells us that we are too much. It teaches us that we are weak, that our emotions are bad, and we should be quiet and not express our feelings, and we shrink and we silence ourselves. But King David shows us a very different way. He is a man after God's own heart. King David is strong. He is a defender of nations and king in a beautiful moment in the life of Israel. And yet, he writes psalms in his anguish and he dances wildly before God in his joy. He doesn't hold back. He expresses his emotions. He doesn't always get a good response to his emotions. His wife in our story today judges him and doesn't think his actions are good enough for a king, but yet he dances. And I won't pretend that it is easy to express emotion, especially after our life experiences and culture tell us not to. There are still spaces where we will be abandoned and left when we are fully ourselves. That simply is the truth. There will still be times when people look at us with judgment for being sad or joyful or confused or angry aloud. But there is a way to reteach ourselves to be brave like David. We can rewire our brains to know another story. And the way to do that, I think, is this. We can find a friend or a spouse or a pastor or someone that we know is safe who will not judge us for whatever emotion we have. We can find that person and we can share our feelings about life in that space. When that person then responds in a good way to our sadness or our utter joy or confusion or tears or whatever else, that helps our brain heal and learn that sharing emotions is good and healthy. And God wants us to be free. God created our minds and bodies and hearts to feel emotions. And I do mean minds, bodies, and hearts. Our emotions affect all of who we are. Our emotions tell us about what we might need, what is wrong, and what is going well. Our bodies hold this, too, and speak to us. And I learned this recently in a very big way. Many of you know, the last couple years, they were a doozy for me. I had three friends die, dear people to me. 
And I experienced a difficult ordination process because of my belief that same-gender couples should be able to be married because I believe this is what the gospel is and that Jesus is always throwing open doors for more and more people to experience God's love. I eventually stepped out of that process because of the ways I was being treated, because of all the delays, and because I wouldn't be able to promise to uphold the covenant rules on who I could perform weddings for. And this, this was the death of a dream for me. It was a reordering of God's calling on my life. I also moved. I had a difficult breakup. And in the middle of it all, I was watching and grieving what was happening with the current presidential administration as their policies deported friends and abused others. It was a rough couple of years. But in it all, I decided that I was strong. I cried after each thing. I cried alone in my apartment and I let myself journal, but I moved on quickly. There were other people going through more than I was, I told myself. Others could cry and grieve, but me, I was okay. It wasn't as bad as some other people's experiences. I was strong. I didn't want to burden my friends with my stories of grief that I needed to tell over and over again. They had enough on their plate. I was ready to keep caring for others, I thought. I thought I didn't need care myself. But then... Then I started experiencing some weird health concerns. My vision started to go weird sometimes, making it hard for me to see. And once in a while, my arm would go completely numb, and soon that spread. Some days, my whole left side would go numb. And I had some weird heart palpitations, and sometimes felt like someone was squeezing my chest so hard that I could no longer breathe. And I made a bad decision and did some online symptoms research, and WebMD told me... (laughs) I was for sure either having a heart attack, a pulmonary embolism, a brain tumor, or multiple sclerosis. (laughs) However, after going to actual doctors, I was told that I was simply grieving. I was sad. And keeping my emotions inside was making me anxious and making my body respond in very weird ways. That after all I had been through, of course I was dealing with stress. And of course I wasn't doing well. This is how it works. I remember crying with a poor, unsuspecting, but very kind cardiologist, (laughs) asking him, so I'm not dying? And him saying, absolutely not. Go eat a big burger with bacon and tell someone about your feelings. (laughs) And so I did. I told my mom, I told my dad, I told my sister, I told my friends, I told my colleagues. And guess what? A couple friends did walk away. They stepped back or said difficult things because they didn't know how to hold my deep grief. They got tired of me telling those stories over and over again. I am a verbal processor. I have to talk it out. (laughs) Yes. But the vast majority of my people sat with me. They hugged me. They listened to me. They simply nodded their heads and said, I hear you. They brought me food. They cleaned my house. They drove me to unnecessary doctor's appointments now that I knew I was totally fine, but they drove me anyway in order to help me process. And that's what I needed. And through it, I taught my brain a different story. I learned that emotions are good, emotions are healthy, and that if we bottle them up, our bodies will feel them anyway. 
Maybe your body has been telling you things too. That ache in your shoulders, the tears that are near the surface, the feeling that you get as the choir or string band leads us in a good song and you want to move just a little. Maybe your body is also telling you that there is emotion inside you too, ready to be free. We are taught to have a brave face, but sometimes maybe it is bravest to take that brave face off and be real. I think this is what God calls us to. Many of our people will accept us too. They will. And we know that as our God created us, our bodies and emotions, God is not afraid of them. God cannot be overwhelmed by them. God created them. And our creator will never leave us as we lean into them and express how we feel. That's our creator. And so, in honor of King David, the king, the man after God's own heart, the one who defeats giants and armies, the psalmist, the one who wrote poetry and music and expressed his feelings and was fully himself, I invite us to be truly brave and take off our brave mask to share our emotions, both good and bad, in safe spaces with each other and with those that you call home. And I want to leave us today in a different way than I might normally, but I want to leave you with a poem that I wrote to listen to my emotions and my body in times of stress. May we each have courage that God is with us, and may we each listen to ourselves and share these emotions with those who love us. So here is the poem I will leave with you today. It is titled, Befriending My Body. And you are welcome to close your eyes if you wish. Here it is. My body tried to tell me something, but I didn't listen until she screamed. And once her loud voice woke me up to truths I had long pushed aside, griefs I didn't think I could face, wounds still bleeding that hadn't been treated, once she woke me up, I realized I had her and I wasn't alone. So I sat her down, gently asked her to tell me what was wrong, spent time learning her language, each ache and knot, raw nerve endings and each heart twisting. And it took me a while to learn to speak to my body, but soon I understood enough. And with tears pouring down my face, I ran for her a bath, fed her her favorite foods, gave her grace when she couldn't do all I asked in this season. And with stumbling humility, I I admitted that I hadn't seen her, and I submitted myself to my body, studied her reactions to the trauma of before, and I learned what she needs as she heals. And with fear that she'd leave me for how I treated her, neglected her. With how I've let her be treated and neglected. With fear but with glimmers of hope. I brought her to those who would nurture her. Sat her in their arms. Let them care for her and teach me how. And with tenderness, I placed my hand on my chest. Told my body I wanted to befriend her and I wept that it had taken so very long. But now, as I sit in my body facing the sun, listening to the trees, seeing orange reflecting off peaks in the distance, I feel that my body is coming back to me, trusting me, learning that while she has loved me for all my life, perhaps for the first time, I love her and listen to her too. Amen.